Hello and welcome everyone for this session today. It will be about access controls. Very important part of any operation or any company to provide access to the right people. And in cybersecurity, it is one of the biggest domain to focus on, especially now with the hybrid and cloud environment identity plays a bigger role in protecting our environment and our secrets. What we'll be talking about today is the principle of identification, authentication, authorization, the three-factor authentication, the difference between 2FA and MFA, single sign-on, one-time password, the access control modules, the DAC, MAC, RBAC, We'll explain what they are as well with the architecture in Bell Lapadula, Biba, Clark Wilson, and Brewer Nash or Chinese wall architecture. So let's get into it with identification, authentication, authorization. What do we mean and how does that work? Identification is simply providing your username, saying who you are. Authentication is proving that this is you by providing me something you know, something you have, something you are. And most of all, something you know, the most popular is a password. When I put my username and then the password, it is identification, authentication, and that's why we need a 2FA, multi-factor now we're talking authentication combined to get access. Now, as well, I get access what permissions do I get? And this is the authorization part that does that. Now, when we said I will be talking about the 2FA and MFA and what's the difference, I'll first I want to explain the three factors of authentication. Now, a lot of people like to have four and five factors. And there are three. Others are considered or are attributions. They are not factors. So we're starting with something, you know, type one. And this is your password. Something you have, type two, this is the two-factor authentication, type two. Two-factor authentication can be on your phone with Google, Microsoft app, or any uh, authentication app that you use. It could be a hardware token that is provided like a YubiKey, for example, or any form of something that you do have. Something you are, this is the biometric fingerprint eye scan that you can have. Very famous now with Windows Hello, with the camera or face recognition that will sign you in. Now, with something you know, mostly or the most popular used part is static passwords. You can have one-time or dynamic passwords. And cognitive passwords, what are those? Those are the questions sometimes you'll be asked if you want to reset your password, your pet name, your teacher name. And thank God for that, Microsoft changed that concept with the self-service password reset, SSPR, which is really good and much more secure to reset a password this way. And at the same time, it won't bombard your support with password reset requests. If I want to provide or you want to take one piece of advice using a password, always use a passphrase, paraphrase, a long sentence that you add numbers, lowercase, uppercase, uh, and symbols to it and make it very hard to guess. 
something you know with the password policies you enforce password history for example you can't use the same password or three last passwords you have a minimum and maximum age for the password you have a lot of policies followed i have to mention one thing that nist did change which is the nist special publication sp 863b uh, titled digital identity guidelines I love NIST uh, wording for things, and they label that as memorized secrets. I love that. And in this publication, it have very different new modern way of looking into passwords. You can go to NIST website, download this document, really useful and very handy as well if you want to apply passwords you know, policies in your environment. Now with something, you have the two-factor authentication. You can use smart cards, or you can use as well, we said, one-time password software tokens to authenticate. If you have it and utilize it in your environment, make sure you're using two-factor authentication and the implementation is safe and right. If you don't have it, go and get it. This is, it's becoming very urgent to use uh, the two-factor authentication it is proving its uh, effectiveness if it is implemented the right way and used with the right tools. Now I'll go to the something you are, the biometric authentication with fingerprints, thumbprints, palms. I've seen that. And a controversial one, which is the retina. It's been, it used to be used a lot, especially in airports. Now it's been used less. This is a very accurate uh, way to recognize people because each person have a certain pattern of blood vessels at the back of their eye and the retina scan with the infrared light measure this pattern and this is very unique but at the same time that would might reveal medical conditions to people with HIPAA compliance it's not advisable to use these scans RS scan it's becoming better with the cameras they're using for that uh, it is the, the iris is the area around or surrounding the eye pupil and it's becoming very much used because of the techniques they're using it was very sensitive for lights as well so the technology is advancing in that and it's picking up uh, better images for that and it's not intrusive as well the retina scan you don't have to touch anything they will just take a photo of your eye with the biometric authentication, we have what we call crossover error rate, CER, and that is the crossover between false rejection rate, FRR, and false acceptance rate, FAR, FAR. Type 2 error and the false rejection rate is type 1 error. Now, what you can tolerate is the rejection rate, and depend how much, but it is rejecting people that should be given access but they're not that. But what you cannot tolerate is the type two one, which is providing access to people that shouldn't get access, which is false acceptance rate. It depends exactly what you're using it for and or why you're using it for. And usually the people selling these products will have these statistics and studies to provide you with more information, especially if they're selling it to an army or anything that need all these securities. Going quickly through SSO, which is a single sign-on used to authenticate once into the system and then you can use it as long as that token is still existing into the environment. It helps a lot in 
password fatigue. The users will be happier. They'd have to provide their password once and not many times. So it is really a good uh, solution to have in your environment. Now, Kerberos is a different thing that Microsoft adapted starting from Windows 2000, but it was mainly made for Unix systems by MIT. It is a very complex ticketing sessions presented for maybe like six or seven steps with the key distribution center. So it started by the authentication request, including the user login ID, sent to the Kerberos server, the Kerberos server sent back, which include the uh, respond, include uh, an encrypted symmetric key, timestamp, and this is what we label as TGT, ticket granting ticket. The user then provide that ticket, the TGT, to and the targeted server to the Kerberos and the Kerberos again include a session ticket for using on that server. After that, the user send that request timestamp to the targeted server and then he will be granted access. The main key there is your weak spot is the uh, key DC, the uh, key distribution center. If it is compromised, everything there is compromised. Federated access is mainly a Microsoft implementation to provide trusted domains access to, to the environment. And it does exactly or similar to what SSO is. Now with the SAML security assertion, it is used for granting this access to applications on the internet. Very popular and used in a lot of organizations. It includes three roles. You have the principal, which is you, the user. You have the identity provider and the service provider. SSO's main purpose is identify and authenticate of users and not authorize. It doesn't give the permissions. It takes the permissions after all that from your system or what permissions were provided after the authentication. There are other technologies that unknown. I will mention one at least, which is Kryptonite, created by IBM to, or as an alternative to Kerberos. And uh, you can assume that uh, did not work at all. Now we'll go to the implementation access control. How do you apply that? As well, we go to a key, very key principle there, which is subject and object. A subject access the resource and the object is the resource being accessed. I'll provide a quick example, a user requesting access to the web server. In this case, the user is the subject requesting from the web server is the object. Now the web server can provide the answer. It has to go back to the database server and get information. So in turn, the web server is the subject to the database, which is the object for it and so on. This is how access control would understand who's requesting what at what time. And this is how any architect and implementation will take in consideration. Now with the logical access control or what we is labeled as access control list ACL, that does exist in every router firewall to provide access to certain IPs or block to the network as well in files in any kernel is this is how access is provided. Now it is provided with the discretionary access control DAC, which is a very granular level. It is an identity-based model allowing the data owners to assign permissions to subjects and provide them that basic level of uh, access. Uh, who uses that? NTFS, Microsoft, for example, new technology file system, 
utilize this principle. Network file system, NFS, Linux as well utilize the system. So you got the hint of how operating system provide access in your computer. Now with the non-DAC, and that is labeled with, for example, role-based access control, RBAC, becoming very, very popular, especially after Asia adapted this model in their environment. The access will be provided to the role and not to the user. So you provide or you create a group of these roles. For example, you have an admin and you add people to this admin and the admin have rights to do certain tasks. You don't give that user, you give it to that role and you add that user to that role, which makes sense. Now, mandatory access control Mac, it is the most safest or strictest, highest security of them all because it utilizes more label and to identify subjects and objects, which is the right or the best method security-wise. This is where we got the abbreviation or the classification of top secret, secret, confidential, unclassified. And even with all classifications, the use of uh, need to know. This is very critical and important with these classifications. Starting with the architecture that we use there, or the most popular one, which is the Biba, Bella Lapadula, Clark Wilson, and uh, the Chinese wall or Brewer Nash. With Bella Lapadula, ensuring confidentiality. So each architect is designed to serve or provide a certain solution, a certain uh, task. Bella Lapadula is more architected for confidentiality. It enforces security through two rules, which is no read up and no write down. If you have clearance, for example, a secret clearance, you cannot read what is a top secret. And at the same time, because you have certain secrets there in that clearance, you cannot write down in confidential. You're not allowed. So this is how uh, secrets are preserved using this module. BIBA is the opposite, and it ensures integrity. Uh, with two as well uh, rules that implement no read down and no write up. You have as well Clark Wilson, which is very used or heavily used in the commercial sector. As well, it ensures integrity and help enforce the separation of duties. It is based on certificates, which monitor the integrity and as well the roles, which is E1 to E4 for separation of duty. So you have the integrity monitoring and the separation of duty happening there. Then, or last, is the Chinese war, which is more used for preventing any conflict of interest and enforcing that separation of duty. Used as well in the public sector, and in many law firms, uh, as I have seen. That would be the last of what we want to talk about in this session. We don't want to put too many things, but that gave you a nice, quick outlook on access controls and who uses them and what architect and models are there. Mostly the difference as well, 2FA is type two. Multi-factor authentication, it is combining a password type one and type two. Uh, two-factor authentication, maybe even a type three, combining them, and that's one or what is labeled as MFA, multi-factor authentication, which we explained at the beginning. That would be all. Thank you so much for listening and see you in a new episode.